us are affected by at some point or another. Um, if you stop to think about it, anger is at the heart of um, many of society's problems. Uh, I met with a man a couple of months ago who was um, guilty of being abusive uh, to his wife and to his children. He was physically abusive. And, um, you know, I never met a person that had more anger than he did. And you can just feel it. You can just sense it sitting in a room talking with him about the problem. And he was a man who was just, just consumed with anger. And finally, you know, you get to the point, it's like, what are you so angry about? And most people that are angry really don't have a clue why, a lot of times, why they're as angry as they are. And uh, so we had an interesting conversation, and it's something that he struggles with, and hopefully um, what I had to share and what we'll share together will be something that will be of help to him, because anger is a, if unchecked and, not, and, and unrestrained, is a major problem in many of our homes. Christian, non-Christian, doesn't really matter, does it? And uh, so we need to deal with this as uh, effectively as we can and as positively as we can. But if you think about it, anger is really at the heart of child abuse. It's at the heart of spousal abuse. Uh, anger is at the, the heart of uh, marriage dissolution. And also the problem between many of us as friends. Uh, the root of the problem is anger at one another for something that's happened or something perceived to have happened or something that we thought happened or something that should have happened. And uh, so it kind of goes that direction. Um, if you think about many of our problems in society as far as crimes are concerned, you know, at the root of the problem is anger. Uh, rape is an angry crime. Um, if you think about assault and battery and drive-by shootings and gang-related incidents, at the heart of all of it is anger. And uh, so it's something that we need to discuss, and it certainly is a problem that most of us could use some understanding in. And uh, so for the purposes of clarity, what we've done, last week we took a look at a couple of things. Uh, the first session we saw... Um, some of the insights as far as the Bible is concerned is why people get angry. And uh, we also took a look at um, when we should be angry. Actually, the Bible commands us to be angry. And uh, many of us don't know what we should be angry at. You know, we're angry at some things we shouldn't be, and we're not angry at things that we should be. And we really need some help in understanding uh, what the difference is between the two. But in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, Be angry, and yet do not sin. So it's a command, it's an imperative that says that we should be angry at certain things and yet there's a danger with all of our emotions uh, that we can carry it to an extreme that's not pleasing before God. Um, to say be angry yet do not sin indicates that there's, a, uh, there's a, a fine line there between the two. So we need to be very careful. Anger is an emotion like any other emotion that God has given us. Um, there's a positive way to express it and there's a negative way according to God to express it. Uh, for somebody to say, and this happens oftentimes it, with people that are struggling with, with their uh, sexual um, behavior, they say, well, you know, God gave me this emotion and, you know, I need to, you know, I need to express it. Well, sure, God gives us the emotion of love and affection and all those things. But he also indicates that there's a, a line that we can cross in that area as well. So God has given us emotions, but he's also given us guidelines as to how to control those emotions and to express them in ways that are pleasing to God. So anger is no different. So what we need to do in this session, we're going to take a look at um, and, and address the question of when is it wrong to be angry? You know, we looked last week at when it was right to be angry. It's just natural that we take a look and see when it's wrong to be angry. And as we go through this, uh, maybe you can identify with it. And uh, hopefully, you know, even, even without digging into what the Bible has to say, let me just ask you to just share from maybe, maybe get level. When do you think it's inappropriate to be angry? Or better yet, when have you expressed anger and you felt guilty about it? You know, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it, too. It's like, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have did that, or I wish I wouldn't have said that. How many, 
Want anybody? New Year, you can share, and I'm not going to rip you apart. <laughs> you know how these New Year's resolutions are. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. I'm going to agree with that. When you know it's your problem, not their problem, you take it out on them. It's kind of the old, you know, kick the dog thing. You know, what are you looking at? <laughs> yeah, there we go. I feel better. <laughs> you know. Okay, so it's kind of like, you know, taking it out on somebody else. Something's bothering you. You had a tough day. You got chewed out at the office. You sat on the freeway. You're upset about some things. Whatever it is that's bugging you. And you just unload. And usually, that's why we get married. <laughs> right? Isn't that true? No, nah, think about it. Who you dump on the most? The people that are closest to you. Because your friends wouldn't put up with that. Right? But that's why you get married. Well, I've got to have someone I can dump this on. And, uh, hey, you're stuck with me, so here it comes. And we don't do it to our friends. We don't do it to other people because we know no one will put up with that nonsense. You know, if you did to me what you do to your wife, you wouldn't do it. I, I don't think so. You wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it to one another, but we do it to the people that are closest to us. And that's kind of a little ironic, don't you think? I would think you might as well dump on people you don't know because who cares? <laughs> that, no, that's not, we're not going to, that's not one of the, not one of the guidelines here we're going to talk about. But what else? Okay, so you take on somebody else. Uh, what, when else were you, have you been angry and, and you know right away that it wasn't the smartest thing to do? All right, when you don't get your own way. How many of you get angry when you don't get your own way? Oh, not me. I say, well, praise the Lord. That's so great. Everyone goes, yes, no, I mean, I mean, I don't care. Yeah, right. When you don't get your own way. Hey, I want it a certain way, and that's not the way it is. I get upset about it. It's a funny thing to watch that, you know, that, those, that dynamic around the household, isn't it? It's really interesting to see how that all takes place. And it's always about stuff like, you know, how you make the bed and stuff, you know. You know? And, and I've been trying to make it wrong for like 18 years so I can get out of doing it. But uh, <laughs> she keeps on trying to teach me how to do it right. And I've got to give her some little credit there for persistence and patience. Don't worry, babe. I'll get it right one day. Um, pardon me? What do you mean you don't make the bed? Yeah, Jack. Okay, uh, why else? When you don't get your own way, why else do you get upset? All right, as a defense mechanism, sir, give me an example. That's great. That, that is one of the greatest forms of argument in the world. When you're confronted, you're wrong. You know you're wrong. The person who confronts you know you're wrong. And the only way you're going to make it right is to scream at them. Just yell in their face. And then by the time you're done, you're right again. That's a, it's a miracle. It's an amazing thing. But you know how that is, right? It's like you're wrong. You know it. She, she knows you're wrong. You know she, you're wrong. And everybody knows you're wrong. And the kids all know. Everybody knows. And you just yell to get out of it. And by the time you're done, if you're really good at it, nobody even knows what you started to talk about to begin with. But that is a defense mechanism. Because what's the option there? I'm right. I'm wrong. You're right. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? <laughs> Doesn't even feel right, does it, for many of us? It's like, that, I say that? That can't be right. Must be a new year. <laughs> we'll get over this in a week. Um, what else? When I'm dealing with my children or you're dealing with your children? 
<laughs> oh, when you're dealing with my children. <laughs> Are you a school teacher by any chance? I know you can relate to that. When you're okay, when you're dealing with your children, what do you mean? Okay, when you react before you think it through or check into the facts or whatever it is, right? Very good. And, uh, or they, what's even worse is when, when they make sense. <laughs> right? You ever been there? It's kind of like, you know, it's like you, you, you grow up and you think, man, your parents were like some of the, sometimes the dumbest people in the world. And you try to reason with them, but they didn't want to reason about things. So they would just tell you, shut up, that's just the way it is. Amen. And then, so then, you know, you go, well, that's dumb. When I'm a parent, I'll never do that. And the first time your child confronts you with something that makes more sense than what you just said, what do you say? Shut up. That's just the way it is. And you go, I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, and then it's like you start calling your kids by every other kid's name, you know. And you remember your parents doing that to you and you think, that's never going to happen to me. They're sick people. And then you figure it out. It's, it's, a, it's a genetic thing. <laughs> it's hereditary. You become just like them. I'll never be like her. Ah! You know? It's kind of like, what's even worse is when we get angry, when we're tr- trying to talk to someone and what they're saying is right. But you got this, this thing about, uh, but I'm the dad. And you can't be right. It's historically incorrect. And they're right. And you have to admit it. So it's easier to get angry about it. And then it keeps going on for generations and it never stops. See, that's the neat thing about the Bible. We can stop all this nonsense immediately if we just believe what God has to say. Pretty interesting, huh? What else? Anybody else? What? Oh, pardon me? Behind the wheel... Oh, wait, this, yeah, thank you for clarifying that. Behind the wheel of the car, when the guy, what? Of course not. All right. Okay, for those of you who didn't hear this, it's when, when you're behind the wheel. Okay, the way this works is, when you're behind the wheel of the car, and, and this should send up a flag right away, and everybody else in the road, on the road, is an idiot. All right? Now, right away, that should say something to you. Um, okay, but uh, what's the problem with that? <laughs> and all the men said, Amen! Yeah! The problem is, we've seen some of the, you guys on the road, <laughs> and that's what's kind of scary. Okay, when you're driving, yeah, it's kind of like, it, it's like the old adage that you can test the character of a man um, when he is around a woman, a child, and a flat tire. <laughs> that's kind of the way it works. Um, so, how many get angry when you're driving? What are you angry about? Because there's other people using your road. <laughs> yeah. What are these people doing on my road? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's really funny. It's little things set us off. But that's not a little thing. Um, what else? Anybody else got anything they want to share? We'll go through and we'll check it too. Let's see, yes. When there was a monthly hormonal change. 
What, what, what? The guy has monthly hormonal changes. <laughs> and, you know, and, and hey, you know, we, know, we all can relate to that because it certainly can't be the women. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to say anything else about it? I don't think I do. <laughs> nah, nah. Where's your wife? She's not here today. Oh. Well, jot this down, bud. <laughs> you know, keep that calendar on the wall. I know when to hide. Um, hey, it's part of just, you know, under, wait, wait, wait. It's part of learning to understand one another. I mean, you know what I mean. There's times where it's good to work late. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we got it. We got one of the nasty ladies here. Want to share something right now? <laughs> Park your broom and come on over here for a second. <laughs> oh, you guys got an act going. She's the one talking. You're the one sticking your tongue out at me back there. That's pretty good. Seriously, though, did you have something positive and? See, here's the funny thing, right? Every month, we got to put up with this. We get upset once every six, eight months. And then, and then, and then, what do we hear? What's your problem? I don't know. I just thought I'd try it once and see. Yeah. The deal is. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. What is, the, what is the problem with men? I don't know. Being one, I'm a little too close to it to really see it. <laughs> I don't know. Bill, what's your problem? <laughs> I couldn't die. I don't know. Well, let's move on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks for the help. Okay, let's open our Bibles. <laughs> Number one, yeah, I don't know, I don't say, I don't know, I'm Find what in there? Excuse me? Are you leaving? Oh, good. <laughs> See ya. Uh, let's just get down to that nitty gritty here. Hey, you got your Bibles open up to the book of Jonah. Number one, times not to get angry. Why we should not be angry. Kind of open to the middle of the book and then kind of go to the right. Well, I mean, it's, you know. Was that a little baby girl crying? That's a boy. Then he must be sick. Because they only cry for good reasons. But it's a boy. Just kidding. Jonah, chapter 3. 
Let me give you some reasons why we should not become angry. And if you are angry for these reasons, they're wrong, and we need to learn to understand that we should not be angry for these reasons. Jonah chapter 3, um, look at verse 1. Uh, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah for the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city at three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, he laid aside his robe from, for them, from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the way of violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. When God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked ways, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. And as a prophet of God, Jonah was the happiest guy in all of the land of Nineveh. For he de delivered the message, the people repented, and he rejoiced in what they did. Right? Nah. Look, it says in verse 4, I mean chapter 4, verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Now, it's interesting because this gives us some insight as, as to some of the dilemmas that we all experience being human beings. Here was a man of God who was a prophet of God, a messenger of God. His whole job description was basically to warn people of the judgment of God so that they had an opportunity to repent and to turn from it and do what's right according to God. And that's what his job was. And you would think that the man would be excited when the message was preached and people repented and they began to do right before God. But he was ticked off about it and he was angry about it. Why was he angry? Anybody care to guess? How many of you think he liked the people of Nineveh? I don't think he did. And he was really angry because they responded in a positive way to the message of God. And he didn't get his own way. I mean, you talk about one of the things that were brought up. You know, here it is. When our anger is, is rooted in the fact that we don't get our own way... Despite what God has to say, then we've got a real dilemma that we're dealing with. See, here's what, it, you know what he was angry about? Look what it says in chapter 4. Here's what he was angry about. It greatly displeased Jonah, he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew... I knew that you are a compassionate and a gracious God, that you are slow to anger, and you are abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. You see what he said? When God told him to go and preach this word to Nineveh, he said, I don't, I'm not going there. I don't want to go there. And the reason I don't want to go there is because I know if they repent that you'll forgive them. And I was afraid this was going to happen. So I didn't want to do that. Is there any irony to this? This is amazing to me. I want to ask you a question because it's something that many of us struggle with in our anger. Some of us are very angry because of our backgrounds. We're angry at things that have happened to us in the past. We're angry with our parents. We're angry with a dad. We're angry with an uncle. We're angry with a brother. We're angry with somebody that did something to us somewhere along the, the, the line. 
and we're angry at them. And yet, as Christians, we have a responsibility to share with them what they need to know about Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to, to help them see that there's hope, that old things pass away, all things become new, that we have a God who's willing to extend to them the same graciousness and forgiveness that He extended to you and I. And we have this, this, this turmoil that we're in because we know that if they respond and they accept God's forgiveness then they too will be put in the same position that we're in. Sinners saved by grace. And so yet we struggle with this because we really hate them and we're angry at them for what they've done to us in the past. And so we're in no different position than Jonah is, who was told to go to Tarshish, and he didn't like the people in Tarshish, and he knew that if they responded to God's grace, God would forgive them, and he didn't want to tell them about God and His forgiveness and His plan of salvation in their case, because he knew God would forgive them. And so he became angry about it. And I can't help but think that some of us are no different than Jonah. We're hurt and we're angry because of something that's happened to us in our past. And the last person that you want to share the love of God with is the people that hurt you the most somewhere along the line. And you got this attitude that Jonah had. He says, I don't want to share with them because I know you'll forgive them. Just like you forgave me. And I'm really struggling with this. And I want to be angry at them. I deserve to be angry at them. I have a right to be angry at them. And God's saying that anger is wrong before God. There's no other way you can get around it. There's nothing else you can say about it. That anger is wrong before God. Anytime your anger is so great that it keeps you from doing the only thing that you're here to do, and that is to share God's love in the person of Jesus Christ with the people around you, Anytime your anger is so great that it keeps you from doing the only reason you're still here. That's our whole purpose. Our whole mission in life. That's why we're still here. Think about it. What else do you think you're here for? To make a lot of money? To, to have a lot of things? Hey, you can't take them with you. That can't be the purpose. To work until you can retire and then go play golf or fish or do whatever you want to do and shop the rest of your life. I mean, some, some of us think that's why we're here. But there's nothing in the Bible that even talks about retirement. So that's kind of hard to justify. I don't care if you are retired, and then you need to be sharing with people that you come in contact with because of your new setting of your retirement, the love of God and the forgiveness they can find in Jesus Christ. There's no other reason to be here. And we miss all that. And anger helps to keep us from seeing that. An anger that's wrong before God. We need to understand that every person we come in contact with is someone that we want to win to Jesus Christ. And when we lose that, then we're no different than Jonah, who became so angry because he knew God would forgive him that he didn't want to share with him the greatest thing that they could ever hear. That's sad. But I can understand it. I can understand it because we've all been there. But it doesn't make it right just because we can understand it. It just means it's something that we need to understand so now that we can do something about it in a constructive and positive way, whereas maybe in the past we haven't. We need to be able to reach out to people that have hurt us and tell them that they too can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Because what I've heard and what I've understood and what I've read is that people that maybe have abused you in some way or another 
uh, as you were growing up were, were people that were abused themselves. And the cycle continues. And the only thing that can interrupt that cycle is to find love and forgiveness in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the hardest things for me to do is understand that I grew up with an abusive stepfather. And he was abusive to all of us, not just me, but my mother and everyone else. And for many years, I grew up convinced that my whole mission in life was to kill him. I hated him. And the hardest thing in the world to do was to come to Jesus Christ in 1978, become a Christian, have my life changed, be forgiven. That chip off my shoulder fell off, and yet I still struggle with my relationship with him. The hardest thing in the world to do was then to allow him to live with us for eight months when they moved out here to Southern California. And I used to lay in bed all the time thinking, this doesn't make any sense. What am I reaching out to this guy for? I hate him. Yet I, but I know that's wrong. And I need to do what's right. Even though I don't want to do what's right, I still need to do what's right. And it's a dilemma that's not unique to my experience, but many of you can identify with it. That's why I share it. And to have, a, you know, and to have that man break down and cry and say, I'm sorry for everything that he did, was a difficult thing to go through. But to realize that God's serious when he wants to change people's hearts. That's his business. That's what he does. That's what physicians do. They mend broken hearts. And I'll tell you what, you know, even though he never responded positively to the message of Jesus Christ, not as, at, at this date or this point, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it allowed me to move on and continue to do what God's called me to do. And that is to share with others that God wants to love them too. See, a lot of us, you know, we have a real hard time sharing the love of God with other people because we're still bitter about what's happened in our life. And we need to make that right and then move on. And so Jonah's situation is no different than ours. And we need to understand that some of us um, are angry for all the wrong reasons. And we need to make that right. Anytime that your anger keeps you from doing what God's called you to do and sharing God's love and forgiveness with another person, anytime your anger is so great that you don't want that person to be forgiven by God, and anytime anyone could ever say that they hope somebody dies and goes to hell, that is a serious problem, and that anger is wrong before God. Because even God does not desire for anyone to go hell or anyone to perish, but all men should come to repentance and believe in Jesus Christ. That's the desire of God the creator of all of us, and yet many of us reject him and turn our back on him and shake our fist in his face, and yet God still does not desire that because he knows what a terrible place hell is. We need to believe that. We need to understand that. Number two, when is it wrong to be angry? When we seek revenge. When we seek revenge. Now, this is difficult because having a sports background, it's a real struggle that you have because... As a motivation on a continual basis, we, we use this. It's been used, and I've even used it, and that is, you know, they beat you last time. Don't you forget it. Let's go out and take care of business. And it's kind of the motivation. I mean, it carries on from year after year after year. And, and many teams that have uh, uh, interdivision rival, rivalries, that's the thing that gets people going. You know, we're not going to forget what they did to us. They ran up the score. They didn't kneel down. They ran it in. They scored two more touchdowns. They were killing us. They jumped all over us. We're not going to forget this. And, and so it kind of has that attitude of revenge. And I really struggle with it. But I got good news for you. That's not it at all. That's not a problem. How many of you 
feel that justice and vengeance are the same thing? How many know the difference? See, because there are people that would tell you, well, wait a minute, to enact justice for a wrong is being vengeful, and that must be wrong too, because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I'll repay. The problem that we have in understanding revenge or vengeance is that we don't understand justice as well. See, God has created a system and an order, a structure in society to curb wrong, and it's justice. If you do something wrong, then you pay the price. That's justice. And it isn't vengeance to enact justice. If we don't understand law and order and we don't understand uh, how things are structured in society, then we can get really confused about all of this. And so we begin to misunderstand justice for vengeance. And so hopefully this will help you. It is wrong to seek revenge. And let me show you why. In Romans chapter 12, look what God says. And maybe this will help to understand some of the things that we struggle with. Romans chapter 12. See, God's established laws. He's established authority. He's established structure to control sin. He knows we're sinners. He knows we're out of control. He knows if there wasn't laws and there wasn't authority and there wasn't punishment and there wasn't retribution, that it would all do whatever we wanted to do. He knows that. So in order to restrain evil, Romans 13 says, he establishes authority. And with that authority is the right to enact justice. And so as we look at this and, and discipline and everything else. Now, in Romans 12, it helps us to understand the difference between justice and revenge. Romans 12, look at verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay? What's going to help us with this dilemma? Here it is right here. Never pay back evil for evil. What's the difference between revenge and justice? Revenge is paying back evil for evil. Justice is enacting those principles and those laws and the standards and the discipline and the retribution that society has enacted, that God has enacted as far as discipline and structure and authority, and it has nothing to do with seeking vengeance or revenge of any kind. The key in understanding it is this. It is wrong to be angry when we seek to pay back evil with evil. You follow that? There's a big difference in understanding this. That means this. If someone lies to you, revenge would be, I'm going to lie to them. If you cheat me, I will cheat you. If you steal from me, I will steal from you. If you have an affair, I will have an affair. If you get drunk, I'll get drunk. If you swear at me, I'll swear at you. That's repaying evil with evil. And God says the anger that leads us to do that is wrong. And there's where the struggle is. Never pay back evil for evil. 
Never be so angry that you disobey the commandments and the principles and the laws of God in order to get even with the person who has disobeyed the word of God. Never become just like them. That's the warning. And it's wrong if we get so angry that we're willing to deliberately disobey the principles of God just to get back at somebody who has hurt us. You abuse me, I'll abuse you. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. See, and there's the difference, and that's why most people don't understand this whole Christian principle of turning the other cheek. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we should not discipline those who are wrong. There's nothing in the Bible, in fact, that says the opposite, that we should. There's nothing in the Bible that says it's wrong to put people in prison for breaking laws. In fact, the Bible says exactly the opposite, that they should be punished for whatever their actions are that are in disobedience to the standards that are set by society. That's just the way it is. There's nothing wrong with any of that. And you see how we can take it to an extreme if it was the case that we cannot enact justice in our society, then everybody's guiltless. And no one's guilty of anything. And we don't need prisons, we don't need laws, we don't need anything because we can't enact justice. That's foolishness. And everybody knows that. Because our society would just go to hell in a handbasket, it would all fall apart. So we all understand that. And yet when it comes to enacting these things, we say, oh, well, who are we to judge? Well, I'll tell you what, we better judge. Because if we don't, no one will. And who are we to judge? Those who are in the right are in a position to judge those who are in wrong. That's just the way it is. And it's always going to be that way and it should never change. And we need to understand that. And it doesn't matter whether it's within the church or without the church. It doesn't matter where it's at. Whether it's in your home or in society or in work or wherever. Those who are in the right have the responsibility to judge those who are in the wrong. And it isn't a matter of whether you're perfect and never done anything wrong. That's not the issue at all because we're all sinners and we all know that we haven't. It's just a matter of who's in the right at the time. Does that make any sense? Thank you. Because when is it wrong to be angry? Getting back to it. It's wrong to be angry if we're angry because we don't get our own way and we don't want another person forgiven by God. It's angry when we seek revenge, which means that we will do the exact same thing wrong to someone else that they've done to us, even though it violates the Word of God. That's wrong. And it'll never be right. So that's why it says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And in fact, if you look at, look at Proverbs 20, 22. Here's where our struggles are, and it has a lot to do with, man, somebody's done something wrong and they've hurt us. And a lot of times, the expedient thing to do is to do what's wrong before God, because that's the quickest response. I'm going to do the same thing. They gave me the idea. That's why I know what to do. Now I'm going to do the same thing. And God said, wait a minute. It's, it, you know, the, even though it's expedient, it doesn't make it right. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Again, it, he reiterates the same thing. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. Never return evil for evil. The greatest example that we have, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, the greatest example and illustration of this is found in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, verse 21 through 23. We read, for, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. There's no greater example that we can have than that. Jesus was the victim of those who did wrong. 
And yet he did not do wrong in return, but he trusted and trusted himself to God who judges righteously. Never be so angry that you'll do what's wrong before God, but just turn it over to the Lord and trust him. And he will not only repay, but he will take care of you in the process. Okay? Number three, when is it wrong to be angry when there's no righteous cause? You can look at those Proverbs 3.30 says, do not you know, have contention with anyone when there's no cause for it. When there's no righteous cause for it, and we went into great detail, by the way, last week on what righteous causes are. There are some things we should be angry at, and there are righteous causes before God. But we should never be angry when there is no righteous cause. And what we're finding is that the things we're talking about are not righteous causes. It is not righteous, a righteous cause to be angry at someone because you don't want them forgiven by God. It is not a righteous cause uh, to seek revenge. It is not righteous at all. It's wrong before God. So the third thing is not, when there's no righteous cause. Look at, this is probably the greatest reason that many of us are angry in our life. Someone else is treated better than we are. Whether they're actually treated better than we are or whether we perceive they're treated better than we are, the reality in our minds is that we're getting ripped off and they're not. In fact, turn to Luke 15 for a second. Luke 15. Luke 15, verses 28 through 32. The story of the prodigal son. He comes home, his dad forgives him. Kind of reminds me of Jonah a little bit. His brother had the same problem that many of us do. Dad's going to forgive him, and he, we don't think he should be forgiven. So he comes home, the boy comes home, and it says that uh, the brother became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and he began begging him, saying, but he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have been neglected. I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid what he did was the kid came home, the kid, no, the young man came home and they had a big feast and they killed a kid and, uh, and it wasn't his brother, although I'm sure that that probably ran through his dad's mind there for a second. But um, so they had this big feast and the boy was saying, well, wait a minute, my brother goes away. In fact, he calls him this son of yours, this S-O-Y, comes home and, um, and here it is, you have this big party for him. And you've never done that for me. And I've just been the good kid all the time. You know what? This goes along. Hey, you got any children? Here's, here's a problem that, that you're going to have to experience. And if, and if you're a child here, listen to me. Oftentimes, what happens is this. There's always one kid in the family who does everything right. Always does what's right. Goes to bed when they're told to go to bed. Picks up after himself. Does good in school. Does good in sports. Is all, you know, just like the perfect kid. And, and uh, you know, God puts one of those in the family to kind of set the standard so that everybody else has something to shoot for. And, uh, <laughs> or shoot at. <laughs> so, there's always one like that, right? And so, this, this boy must have been like that. I, I'm an angel, is what he said. And, uh, and his dad said, I don't disagree with you. You've always been a good kid. And so, then we struggle with, well, this kid was not a good kid. He took all your money, he went out and he blew it, and he partied and he had a good time, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. Then you come home and you reward him for coming home. There we go again. I think I'm going to start doing what's wrong too. No, that's wrong. Well, then what's the problem? Well, then why are you doing this for him, this son of yours? You've never done it for me. You see how we struggle with that? And he was angry because he wasn't rewarded like he thought he should have been for doing what's right. 
And some of us as Christians are angry at God because we keep doing the right thing and we don't seem to be rewarded by Him. And we see other people would think that are doing wrong before God and they seem to be enjoying the fruits of their wrong behavior. And we think, you know what? That's enough of this. I think I'm going to start doing what's wrong too. <laughs> now, well, now, I don't even want to try to figure out what that amen was all about. And it's kind of like what God's saying is, hey, never grow weary or tired of doing good. You just keep doing good no matter what anybody else does. And so this is what the dad was trying to get across to him. And so dad says, and he said to him, my child, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and he was lost and he has now been found. Don't you see how great that is and wonderful it is? To have somebody that's screwed up to come to their senses, to make it right before God and to repent and to turn from their ways. What a wonderful thing that is. And yet there are some of us that get angry about that. And it's always angry to be upset when we think someone else is treated better than us. You know what? Here's the way this works. And, and it's amazing to me because Christians, we could be really sick people. You know, it's like you're single and a friend gets married. And you get all angry about it. You know what I say? Say, good for them. Praise the Lord. You're out of a job and another friend gets a promotion or they get a raise or they're making more money or whatever. We get angry about it. What? You know what I say? Good for them. Praise the Lord. You're having a hard time having children and somebody else, a friend, has children. And the temptation is to be angry about it. But you know what I say? Good for them. Praise the Lord. See, that's the way it works. You can't sell your house. Somebody else puts theirs up. It sells on the first day. You get all ticked off about it. Why? Well, like what? You know, God can only sell so many houses a month or something? What do you think? He's limited here? What's the deal? What are you angry about? You know what say? Good for them. Praise the Lord. You're sick. You're suffering. And people around you are healthy. And you're going to be angry at them because they're healthy? Say, good for them. Praise the Lord. You see, God can do anything He wants, whenever He wants, to whomever He wants, anytime He feels like it. And that's just the way it is. And if God chooses to bless you, and we think He's not blessing us, then we forget who God is because we enjoy so many blessings that we never see. And the only reason we don't see it is because we're too busy looking at what everybody else has and what we don't have, and we think we don't have anything because you got more. And so we don't compare ourselves to somebody who has less than we do because then we would see how good God is to us and we'd have to say, Thank you, Lord. You know, praise the Lord. Thank you for all your blessings. And so what Satan wants to do is he wants to distort this and he wants you to become angry at God for not blessing you like he blessed someone else. So that we miss the actual blessings that we're having because we're so distorted by anger that we miss everything God's doing for us. So what I would say from now on is anytime you're angry because you think somebody's being treated better than you are or you think they're blessed by the Lord and you're not, what you need to say is good for them, praise the Lord. Try that. It'll change your whole attitude about everything. It's amazing to me how ugly Christians can get at the blessings that God bestows on someone else. Man, good for them. Praise the Lord. And you might want to say it in a little nicer tone. (laughs) But hey, if that's how it starts, then great. At least you're starting in the right direction. Good for them. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Ah, Well, good for them. Praise the Lord. You say it enough times and you'll start to believe it. Because it's true. What we need to do is we need to look at what God's doing in the life of other people and say, good for them, praise the Lord, we've got a God who cares about every one of us.
and help them to see what a great blessing it is from God. Because some of us don't realize how blessed we are until somebody tells us and reminds us, man, you know what? I've been trying to get a job for six months. I'm glad your business was going well. God is really blessing you, isn't he? Man, you're popping babies out like stinking rabbit. And we've been trying for 10 years to have a child. And I just want to remind you what a great blessing it is from God to be fertile myrtle. <laughs> oh, you don't know. We forget. You know what I'm saying? We forget. Good for you. Praise the Lord. A couple more things. When is it wrong to be angry? When we're bitter, resentful, argumentative. We'll talk about the rest of these. And uh, bitter, argumentative, resentful, uh, will cause them problems, blah, 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 that kind of thing. It's always wrong to be before God. And the last one is uh, when you jump to conclusions with somebody brought up. It is wrong to be angry, jumping to conclusions without examining and weighing the evidence. And man, nothing will destroy a family and a relationship quicker than jumping to conclusions without checking into the facts. Destroys every relationship we have. It'll destroy your relationships at business. It'll destroy relationships in church. It'll destroy relationships in society. It'll destroy relationships in your home. Jump into conclusions without examining the facts. Let me tell you something about righteous anger according to the Bible. It is an anger that is deliberate. It is an anger that is well thought out. It is an anger that is based on the word of God. There's nothing impulsive about that type of anger unless it's built upon the foundation of the word of God. Many of us get into all kinds of troubles, jump into conclusions. Let me close on the story. True story. A friend of ours was sitting in the airport. Yeah, somebody goes, yeah, right, true story. No, this is actually, this one is. Um, a, a friend of ours was sitting in the airport and uh, was waiting for a flight. She goes to one of those um, concession stands and buys a package of cookies. And I think there's like six of those big giant cookies that are in this package, right? So she goes and she buys this package of cookies and she comes back and she sits and she's waiting for a flight. So she sits them down, and if you've seen the chairs like at LAX, you know, there's the seats and the little, like, little table next to them. So she sits down, she puts the cookies down, she starts reading the magazine, and she starts to eat the cookies. Okay? She looks over, and the guy sitting next to her, whom she does not know, is eating her cookies. <laughs> he's sitting there, and he's going like this. Eating a cookie, reading a magazine. She's sitting here, and she's watching this guy take her cookies. And uh, she can't figure out what in the world is going on. Well, by the time they're down, doom, 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 they're down to the last one. There's one left. So she looks over, and she's wondering if this guy is going to take her last stinking cookie. And by now, she's fuming. Who's this guy think he is eating my stinking cookies? But she don't want to say anything to him because, you know, people at airports, you don't know, you know. So she doesn't say anything. And um, so she looks down, and the guy breaks the cookie in half. <laughs> Breaks the cookie in half, leaves half of it, right? So by now, she can't believe this guy. So she eats the last half of the cookie. She gets on the airplane. She's, on, on, uh, and she's en route to wherever she's going. And uh, she's going through her stuff. She opens her purse and finds the package of cookies that she bought at the concession stand. The whole time, she is fuming at this guy for eating her cookies, and she was the guilty one. You know, and I, when she told me the story, I thought, that is so, what a great illustration of so many times we are so mad at everybody else because it's obvious they're the guilty ones. Well, guess what? It be me. 
and they go, rut row. <laughs> you know, so many of us are guilty of jumping to conclusions that it can get really embarrassing. Because we say and we do things based on a certain amount of information. And when the full picture comes out later, guess what? You go like this. You're busted. And the only thing you can say is, you know what? I was wrong. I should have learned by now. As old as I'm getting. I should learn by now, hallelujah, (laughs) to stop and examine the evidence before I come to any conclusions. God, if we don't learn anything from that, we won't learn anything from anything. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this day. Just thank you for the opportunity once again to have some clarity in our our minds as to what constitutes anger that is wrong before you. God, how we should never, ever, ever be angry at the grace that you share with another person whether it's forgiveness of sin, whether it's blessings in a material or physical way, regardless of whatever it is that you do in the the lives of another person, we need to be grateful for your activity in our life. And we need to just praise you. God, we just thank you for that. God, may we never jump to conclusions without examining the facts. May we be careful as to how we express our anger. May we be angry at that which you tell us to be angry and that which we should not. May we confess it and forsake it and turn to you. God, help us to be men and women who are well-grounded and and, uh, show self-control in areas that the rest of the world flies off of the handle. God, help us to see how your word teaches us a new way of living. May we believe what you say and may we act and live accordingly. In Christ's name, amen.